The Bank of England on hold, but will there be more? We'll look at the mixed bag of central bank moves or lack of moves over the last 24 hours and some surprise data. Jobless claims down again in the United States. GDP strong for New Zealand. Are they two reasons on the reasons to raise list, perhaps? I mean, do we really believe that the tightening cycle is over? Plus, the Bank of Japan today, a bit of bond action there ahead of a meeting where we assume that they will change nothing. And PMIs today, which will hardly feature anything above 50. Just to cap off the end of a busy week, it is Friday, the 22nd of September, 2023. It's the morning call from NAB. Good morning. Well, the US dollar has been up about 0.4% today, but it's lost most of those gains. It's still about 0.1% up, though. Against uh, that, a small loss for the euro, a 0.4% fall for the pound, a half percent loss for the Aussie, and a half percent gain for the yen. Bond yields are up. Eight basis points for 10-year treasuries, eight for 10-year gilt yields, uh, four basis points higher for 10-year bonds in Germany, nine yesterday for Aussie 10 years, up to 4.3%, up another five basis points on futures overnight. Quite a fall in European stocks. The DAX lost one3 the Cat Caron down 1.6%. The FTSE 100 lost 0.7%. But big falls in the US as well. At close, a 1.8% drop in the NASDAQ. 1.6% off the S&P 500. 1.1% down for the Dow. Against all of that, News Corp shares, even though generally shares are down, News Corp is at 1.4% today on the news that Rupert Murdoch is standing down as chair at News Corp and at Fox. So Lachlan as they call him in America. Lachlan is taking over. Uh, Markets seem to like that. So uh, get get your offers in now to buy the Australian. Uh, Anyway, I digress. Oil, that hasn't moved very much. Brent is down uh, a third of 1%, a 1.4% drop in gold. But in the midst of all the central bank news, maybe it is the bonds where the focus is. JB Weir, Sally Old joins me today. Let's start with the Bank of England. NAB has been saying for a while now that this was a borderline decision as to whether they would lift or hold. They've decided to hold for the first time since December 2021. But bond yields are up in the UK and everywhere else. Can you can you explain that to me? Is it uh, just this higher for longer assumption that seems to be sinking in? That's right. Good morning, Phil. So I think going into this meeting, there were three things they were looking at. They were looking at the, the tightness in the labour market. They were looking at wages growth and they were looking at services inflation. And in the weeks leading up to the, the meeting, you know, obviously this week we got much weaker services inflation and some of the indicators on the labour market have started to loosen up a little bit. So really it was, um, if they were going to hike this week, it was really all about wages growth. And in the end, it was a bit of a coin toss, um, as the NAB team expected, a 5-4 vote to hold. So, um, you know, that was pretty finely balanced. And um, they also had a pretty firm tightening bias. So, you know, saying there's a commitment to tighten if evidence of more persistent inflationary measures um, continues. And so they made it pretty clear that, yes, they've paused. Um, but I guess the whole point is, you know, at this point in the tightening cycle when there's already a lot that has been done and central banks are comfortable that policies in restrictive territory you sort of have to be surprised on the upside by the data to, you know, continue to to get the catalyst to tighten. And I guess when you look at the UK data over the last month or two, you know, you feel actually like the momentum is the other way. So GDP has been weaker, labour market numbers have been weaker, inflation a bit weaker. And so I think this is why some people are now starting to say, well, they could be done um, because um, the data sort of surprises mm. are actually moving in the wrong direction to give them... Um, I think the the justification to hike. So, I mean, there is still an expectation. I think, isn't there, for many that they are going to hike again in November? But they're also saying that. I mean, the bank is saying that they're going to bring down their balance sheet more than they have before. So they've stepped up quantitative tightening, 100 billion a year. So 
I mean, could that be seen as well? That is in lieu of future hikes. That's that's the strategy for now on. Yeah, so that was pretty well flagged. So they said, you know, over the next year, um, guilt QT or quantitative tightening is going to go from eighty billion pounds to a hundred billion. Um, so I don't think that came as a huge surprise to the market, but it is, you know, quite quite similar to a number of other central banks, like the Fed, for example, where. Um, you know, even though they feel like they're much closer to the end of the tightening cycle in terms of where the level of cash rates are, there's still, you know, a very clear commitment to continue to unwind um, the balance sheet. And so maybe, you know, that that's the compromise, which is that, um, you know, you leave rates at a high level for a long period, which is effectively what the Fed signaled earlier this week. Um, and you continue to tighten financial conditions or drain liquidity from the system by, um by continuing QT. Right. So bond yields pushing higher, I mean, and particularly Australian 10-year yields. I mean, we're quite a bit away from the action right now. Uh, mm. So why is why Australian yields up so much? Look, I think we're – I don't think it's a, a unique story to Australia. I think we're just getting dragged with um, global bond yields where, you know, most of the action is, is offshore, particularly in the US market where yields have gone up, you know, a fair bit since um, the middle of – the middle of the year and our, our yields have gone up as well, but we are outperforming other markets. So they're going up, but but not by as, as much as we're seeing in, in other jurisdictions. Um, but yes, it's, it's a pretty sort of uncomfortable dynamic when you're seeing, uh, you know, what we would call bear steepening of, of yield curves at this point in the cycle. Um, and, you know, certainly one interpretation of, of price action overnight might be that markets are a bit uncomfortable with um, some of these central banks being on hold and maybe markets are sort of sending a message which is that, sorry, but we still think you've got more work to do, um, you know, because we're not convinced that inflation is mm. is where it needs to be or on the right trajectory. So tell me if I'm wrong, but it seems like out of the major banks, maybe the Bank of England, because, you know, the economy's been hit so hard, is the least likely to be raising again, whereas we look in the United States, even though we've got all this talk about, well, I mean, there is an expectation that they will almost certainly raise again, and certainly they've not denied it, uh, and we've got all this strength in the economy. I mean, how is that going to play out? Are they going to have to go harder? Does that mean, for example, that there's uh, there's going to be a recession? Maybe this soft landing talk is um, is a little bit misplaced, perhaps in the US. You know, when you when you look at whose economy is performing the best, I think um, you know there's there's definitely resilience in the US economy, and we saw that again overnight with jobless claims falling um, again to their lowest level since January. So, you know, you could maybe make the argument that the numbers are a bit mucked up because of the Labor Day holiday, but it's it's still sending a pretty strong signal about the state of the of the labour market, and so you know to the extent that there's um, you know clearly much looser fiscal policy in the US and and strength in the in the underlying economy, then maybe you know the Fed, as signalled by the dot plot, has a bit more to do. Like we said, the UK might be a bit different because there are signs that growth momentum is starting to soften there. So perhaps they are they are done. And then in economies like Canada and Australia, you know, Canada's got this sort of stickiness in inflation that we saw this week. So I think the market's reasonably comfortable that they could be in play um, before year end. And here in Australia, you know, the economy still continues to t- tick along okay. Um, and, you know, my own view, and, and it's pretty sympathetic to, to that of the NAB team, is that, you know, the risks are that the RBA is not done and they also mm. – by the end of the year, might be forced to, to lift rates again. So the question is, where is the borderline between soft landing 
and central bank needs to do more you know where does that good data become too good and therefore you need to do more so uh you know the uh, so the philly you know because you mentioned the tightness in the labor market in the mm. u.s the philly feds uh, business conditions uh, moved up a little bit as well didn't they but new having said that the new orders the index is down uh prices paid uh the figure's gone up from 20.8 yeah. up to 25.7 which is actually the highest since february so what do we do with those numbers i mean you look at those and we could say well there's there's a reason for the fed to do more mm, so lots of mixed signals in in these regional manufacturing mm. surveys i mean i think if you were to look at them on net and as a whole you would say you know the the broad message is still one of weakness in the manufacturing sector but that that hasn't really changed you know for most of uh, most of this year and you know if you look at sort of bellwether indicators on manufacturing in the US um, like the ISM that's been pretty weak the prices paid one is is interesting and, and that may be related to what's going on with energy prices um, at the moment but I think just reflects this idea that um, you know the, the move higher in oil is making that sort of growth inflation trade-off more unfavorable um, for central banks particularly because you know, a large part of the move in oil, um, maybe not all of it, but certainly a large part is is really being driven by a negative supply shock. Yeah. So it is curious, isn't it, looking at how all the central banks are responding right now. And we've had a mm. lot of them in the last 24 mm. hours. So Rick's bank up a quarter percent to 4%. Norge bank up a quarter percent to 4 and a quarter percent. The Swiss National Bank, they kept on hold counter to expectations. So they're at just 1.75% with inflation at 1.5%. Wouldn't that be nice? South Africa, on hold at eight and a quarter percent. Ouch! Uh, that's that's with inflation at four point seven percent. Go figure. Uh, and Brazil uh, cut its interest rates by fifty basis points. I mean, it's hard to find a clear relationship between central banks, isn't it? You know, when, when, uh, on hold seems to be generally in vogue. I mean, those from emerging markets that went higher quicker, obviously they're on the way down. Mm. It seems, but a real mixed picture. Yeah, a really mixed picture. And I think, you know, it's interesting looking at, um, you know, you mentioned sort of low inflation in, in Switzerland and, and a relatively low cash rate, but still, you know, a real cash rate that's in positive territory. Um, Rick's Bank, their cash rate's mm. at 4%, but inflation's way higher. So they still have a, a real cash rate that's very, very negative. You know, the Fed's is now in positive territory here in Australia. Ours is in negative territory. So I think there's um, you know, there's still quite considerable variation in, in where um, some of those measures of real short rates lie, which probably also accounts for a little bit of um, a little bit of the divergence in what some central banks um, are doing at the moment. But I think you know, the, the broad sort of story is that most of them have done a lot. Most of them are now at that phase where they're just trying to calibrate policy. So it's really all about the fine tuning. Um, but the other message that we're getting from all central banks is that don't get excited about rate cuts. We're in an environment where rates are going to be higher for longer. And I guess in part, that that's probably one of the catalysts that's pressuring bond yields higher at the moment as well as the market yeah. absorbs yeah. that message. It is not over, in other words. Exactly. So uh, it's something which perhaps will play on markets. Maybe not. We'll see over the next few days. But the, the Republicans have blocked a vote on defence spending in the U.S. House of Reps. Not Never quite fully understood the U.S. budgeting process. But this apparently could lead to a government shutdown from October the 1st. But, you know, if... Uh, if I suspect there's not going to be much of a response to that because we keep on having these standoffs, don't we? It somehow gets resolved mm. and life goes on. Uh, but let's talk about New Zealand because uh, their GDP uh, rebounded out of the recession with gusto for Q2, 0.9%, way above expectations. You know what I'm going to ask. 
uh, when you get a strong GDP figure like this, you, you can tell. You know, what does it mean for the RBNZ? Does that does this increase the, the the likelihood that they're going to go again? Well, I think. I mean, the the number was certainly a lot stronger than most economists had expected, and and there was some you know genuine sort of strength in the number. It wasn't sort of um, you know funny machinations with uh, GDP accounting. So it was up nine tenths of a percent in the quarter. The annual rates running at one point eight percent. And what was interesting is that. Um, the March quarter number was revised up just a touch from a fall of 0.1 of a percent to a flat quarter. So from a technical perspective, that yeah. erases the recession narrative um, from from New Zealand. Um, but I think, again, just sort of reinforces what we've been talking about, which is that central banks have done a lot. Rates are very elevated. And all this just really adds to the story that, you know, market expectations around rate cuts anytime soon look a little bit misplaced. And if anything, it keeps central banks, I guess, just a little bit um, alert to the prospect of, you know, if growth proves to be a bit more resilient in a world where inflation is is still above target, um, then that only means one thing, which is that you might have to do a little bit more. For the RBNZ, who you know started early, did a lot um, very quickly and have rates at um, relatively high levels compared to other central banks, I think they've probably earned the right you know to watch for a little bit longer. And so for them, the next important mm. mark is going to be that third quarter inflation number, which comes uh, in mid-October. Well, I'll tell you who uh, we assume is not going to be lifting rates. That's the Bank of Japan. Uh, before the Bank of Japan laid on today a bunch of numbers, including inflation, foreign investment in stocks and bonds, manufacturing and services, the flash PMIs for that. Uh, but it sounds like, uh, you know, we had all that excitement that Governor Ueda had sort of been suggesting that maybe they will start looking at lifting rates. But, I mean, been a lot of backtracking on those comments since. So no change of direction, presumably. Another central bank, which for the moment is on hold and, you know, until who knows when. What's it going to take? Yeah, I know it's a good question because growth is doing well, inflation's doing well. Um, and I guess what we're really yeah. witnessing is just, you know, the minefield that is the exit from, you know, some of these policies, which is that, you know, you feel like there's there's a desire to, to sort of want to do it and a desire to, you know, get the market prepared for it. But then, you know, you feel like you don't want to say too much. And if you do, you have to walk it back. And so um, it all... Um, looks and, and feels pretty tortuous, really. So I guess the market is now at a point where, you know, it's going to be on high alert going into these meetings and just looking for any signs. Well, kind of, quite a lot of action, mm. isn't there, in, in bonds mm. and, and the yen. I mean, the real effective exchange rate for the yen now is the lowest since 1970. Yeah, that's right. And, and we're sort of getting to that level where I think most people are, uh, are sort of happy to say that, you know, at around 150 on dollar yen, that's probably where the Ministry of Finance starts to get involved. And so I think the natural inclination is probably for markets to want to push that story and, and sort of test that level. Um, and so that's clearly the risk, I guess, if if we get literally nothing from the Bank of Japan today on, you know, how the future might transpire and what the exit from some of these policies look like. But yeah, I mean, I think it just speaks to, you know, the, the genuine difficulty in, in managing um, this process without sort of causing too much disruption to domestic financial conditions. And then later on today, all the PMIs, um, the expectation is higher for the US, lower for services in the UK uh, and Europe as well, uh, a small increase in manufacturing. Uh, but we'll, you know, we'll see lots of those numbers. Are, are, um, well, very few of those numbers are actually over 50 at the moment, are they? So mm. uh, I, I don't think there's an expectation they're going to get over 50 either. Yeah, so I think the, the sort of expectation has been that, you know, okay, we, we all know the story around, um, you know, the post-COVID consumption 
um, patterns reversing. And so we've had a period where, you know, the manufacturing part of those PMIs has been very soft. The services has been quite elevated. And I think the expectation was that we'd get a bit of a, a reversal there. So services would start to cool and, you know, global goods sector would start to improve and manufacturing would pick up and you'd get this sort of almost perfect sort of reversal in each one. Um, and that hasn't really happened. All that's happened is that manufacturing sort of remained pretty depressed and services PMIs have have come down. So, um, you know, for people who've been looking for that, that nice sort of switch between services to manufacturing the last couple of months, haven't given them much joy on that front. So let's wait and see what we get uh, get tonight. But I think the, you know, the, the, the UK number, um, will be important, although um, you know I, I did read this morning that apparently the Bank of England already had that information in front of them when they met overnight. Um, but I think also Europe as well, because clearly those PMIs have been uh, quite a huge disappointment in recent months, and you know hence fueling the the sort of discussion around the outlook for Europe and the possibility of recession. So uh, another important mark on the data calendar. Uncertainty reigns supreme. That seems to be the message, doesn't it? We can't pretend that uh, we've got a very clear picture of what the map is from here. But anyway, good to talk about it, Sally. Catch you again very soon. Thanks. Thank you, Phil. And very quickly, before we go back on home turf, small business in Australia, Anna Marankovic is NAB's Executive General Manager of the Small Business Bank. She says our SMEs are experiencing a two-speed recovery, and that's part of it is because many are taking a margin hit as costs rise, and they're reluctant to push their prices up because they have this close relationship with their customers. They've got to get over that, haven't they? Got to push the price up. You've got to make a profit. What is the way forward for small business? We're talking about that on the weekend edition this week. It's available from 3 p.m. Eastern Time in Australia today. Give it a listen over the weekend. I'm Phil Dobby for NAB. I'll see you then. If not, failing that, I'll see you on Monday morning for another edition of the uh, the Morning Call. Thanks for listening.